Start in one, we'll start in one minute. We'll start in one minute. Does anybody not have a copy of the handout? Please raise your hand if you don't have a copy of the handout. Uh, good evening, and uh, thank you so very much for coming to join me this evening in uh, memory of my mother, Alea Shalom, Penina Peril Etel Bas, Lea Pesha Vachanoch Henach. She uh, told us, my sister and me, before she died, we had conversations with her about what name she wants to have on her matzeva. It was a massive blessing for us. She passed away in her 90s and she was totally lucid until the last maybe uh, 20 minutes of her life. So we had very intense and important conversations with her and she <laughs> told us exactly uh, what she wanted. Uh, she was known her whole life as Panina, but in her ksuba it says paraletal. And so we had to figure out uh, what, uh, what we should do. We decided Panina paraletal. And she said she wants her mother's name on the matzeva, and she wants her mother's name before her father's name on the matzeva. So uh, that's the way it is. And whenever we uh, mention her, and especially tonight, Yorzai uh, Chir in her memory, Lili Nishmas, Penina Paraletl, Bas Lea Pesha Vachanochenach. I want to thank the adult ed committee of our shul, Faye Landis and Aaron Friedman and all the members of the committee for everything that they do for us to enhance our learning in this uh, community and our shul. I wanna thank Ruth Hartstein, who's at Sadekis uh, Atsuma, who's come from a uh, neighboring Tenafly from Kesher Israel, friend of Faze, to help uh, organize and take everything together. Bershus Samara Dasra, Rabbi Srachler, Avital, thank you so much for coming. Uh, Rabbi Wiener, I see Rabbi Benny Krohn is here. And uh, it's uh, really uh, tremendously moving that so many of you, uh, we call it the FOMs, uh, Friends of Mommy, and uh, others, uh, friends, I guess, of Yocheved and me, uh, who've come to be uh, part of this uh, memorial presentation. Uh, three years this past week was my mother's uh, third site. It's three years. Then she passed away, and uh, her uh, memory in our family is not one iota diminished over the course of time. Uh, our kids and our, our grandchildren have repeatedly noted how amazing it is that we still talk about Bubby, talk about Bubby Stafta, remember her, that her presence is very much real 
in our lives and in our uh, families. Uh, she had an incredible impact, not only on her children, on my sister Miriam and myself and on our spouses and on our children and their spouses and uh, grandchildren, her great-grandchildren. In our case, we were blessed that uh, each one of our grandchildren had a long-standing personal uh, intimate relationship with Bubby Safta and remember her uh, extremely well and quote her all the time. She also developed warm relationships with other members uh, of our family, both from her side as well as from my father's side. And also she was uh, blessed to have warm relationships uh, with many friends. And uh, it's extraordinary how uh, one person had such a great impact on a growing, ever-growing concentric circle from the immediate family to the further out family to community and, and to friends. The topic for tonight is uh, the mother's role in uh, educating children, which I thought would be an appropriate topic to reflect upon when thinking about my mother. And uh, I think it's appropriate for mothers uh, to think about and to reflect upon. And maybe uh, fathers uh, also would find it worthwhile to reflect upon the mother's role in uh, educating uh, children. The issue that I want to address is, is the mitzvah of chinuch applicable to mothers? It's a mitzvah of chinuch, it's a mitzvah to be machanech children, to educate children. So is that mitzvah apply also in the case of mothers? In, in my case and in our case, we feel that uh, my mother, as a mother, as a mother-in-law, as a grandmother, as a great-grandmother, uh, had a tremendous role in being mechanech, all of us in uh, our family, tremendously central role in uh, educating us on so many different levels, on religious levels, even more so on humanitarian, on human uh, levels. And it's inconceivable to imagine that uh, she didn't fulfill some kind of a something, some kind of a religious something when she was able to convey so much uh, to us in such a profound way. So one would imagine that it really should not be an issue at all. If one looks at the Parsha of Bensora Amora, the, the recalcitrant, the son and Dvorim, so the Pasuk says that uh, this kid who misbehaves, Enenu Shomea, Bekol Aviv, Ubekol Imo, that he doesn't listen to his father and he doesn't listen to his mother, which means that he should listen to his mother, not only to his father, but he should also listen to his mother. And uh, the mission of Asachet Sanhedrin says that they both have to be on the same page in terms of bringing him to Besdin for acting inappropriately. And in addition to that, because they both have to be on the same page at the end of the process, then they're both on the same page throughout the process. The problem with him is that he doesn't listen not to his father and not to his mother. So obviously his mother must have a role here. And this is a biblical text. His mother uh, must have a role. The kol imo is equal here uh, to the kol aviv. Pasuk says in Mishlei, a famous Pasuk, Shema b'ni Musar, we can all, right? I hear already uh, the response from, from so many of you. Shema b'ni Musar avicha, v'altito Torah imecha. For me, it was always striking that the Musar is Avicha and the Torah 
is Imecha. I would have thought it should be the other way around. I thought it would be the Torah is the father and the Musar is the mother, but that's not what it says. So clearly, once again, the Avicha and the Imecha are both very significant. And the final introductory reference is in the Haggadah, and we've said this to our Torah, I'm sure, multiple times. When it comes to the She'ene Yodea Lisho, so what is the response to the She'ene Yodea Lisho? At Psachlo. Why At Psachlo? Because it's the mother who's involved with the child from the very beginning. So it's Belosho Nekeva, it's At Psachlo. So it seemed to be pretty obvious and self-evident that a mother is very much involved in the education of children and is acknowledged as being very much involved in the education of children. So sure enough, it turns out to be an issue. Uh, let's start with uh, the top of page one. There's a mission of Maseches Nozir. There's a lot of Hebrew here, uh, and maybe a shtickle Aramaic. I'll translate uh, everything so everybody should be comfortable on the same page. So now we're talking about Maseches Nozir. So there is a concept called the Nazar, a Nazarite. What is a Nazarite in our tradition? It's a Parsha in the Torah. If somebody assumes extra limitations upon themselves, and someone says, I want to act like a Nazir. So they have to grow their hair. They're not allowed to take haircuts. They're not allowed to drink wine. They have to adhere to a higher level of ritual purity. When they're done, when the time is up, they have to bring special carbonos. It's a whole ritual surrounding someone who wants to adopt upon themselves behavioral stringencies so that they adopt activities that limit the extent to which they can have benefit. So they don't look so nice necessarily and in terms of wine, and they're limited in terms of where they can go. They have to be careful about Tuma and Tara. So that's the Parsha, that's the category of the Nazir. Says the Mishnah Dav Chavche Samid Beis, Ha'ish Madiras Beno Benazir, Ve'in Ha'isha Madiras Es Benazir. That a father can make a child a Nazir. We're talking here, the Gemara says it's talking about a Katan, a, a child, in this particular case, a son who has not yet become Bar Mitzvah. So a father can declare his son a Nazir. Either the father could say, you are a Nazir, or the father could say, my son is a Nazir, or the father could tell the son to say, I am a Nazir. There are multiple ways how to do this, how to effect this status. But a father, ha'ish, a father is madir as beno benazir, but ve'en ha'isha maderes as beno, a mother does not have that ability to make her son into a nazir. That's what it says in the mission. Says the Gemara, three lines from the bottom, ish in aval isha lo. The Mishnah says that a father can do it, but a mother cannot do it. My time, why? What's the rationale for this difference? Rabbi Yochanan Amar, Nazir. Why is it? Because that's the way it is. We don't like to hear that answer. We want to know why is it? The answer is, that's it. Look at Rashi. Nazir. I'm not sure what Rashi is adding here. But Rashi's reinforcing that that's the way it is. And the Mepharshim say 
This is in the category of Halacha Lamosha Sinai. This goes way back to Mount Sinai. And God told Moses, a father can do it and not a mother. Don't ask any questions. It's built in from the very beginning. Zero rationale. Why is it? Because that's what it is. Azayzak, this is the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Hanino, Amar, we're now on the top of the next Amid, on Chavtes, Amid Aleph, in the name of Reish Lakish, Kedei Lechancho B'mitzvos. The reason why a father is allowed to do it and has the capacity, the power to effect a change in the status of his son, who's a kata, before the age of bar mitzvah to turn this kid into a nazir, because the father, to help, to enable, the rabbis wanted to help the father train, educate the child. And somehow, we're going to come back to this, it requires an explanation. Why is making my kid a nazir, chinuch, how is that somehow educating? But it's associated with education. If that's the case, so if there's a din of chinuch, if it's a din of educating, then a mother should have the same capacity and the same ability. And for the Gemara, you're right, it's a din of chinuch, but chinuch is limited to the father and not to the mother. And therefore, the father can do it, and not the mother. So we see now there's an opinion in the Gemara, Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Hanina, in the name of Reish Lakish, that the mitzvah of Chinuch does not apply to a mother. And therefore, the mother can't do this, because once again, this had something to do with Chinuch. The father does it, and not the mother. Now, what about Rabbi Yochanan? What was Rabbi Yochanan's rationale? There is no rationale. That's the way it is. So the Rishonin say, the commentaries say, that this precisely is the subject of the debate between Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lakish. According to Reish Lakish, the reason why the mother does not do it is because there's no chinuch for the mother. According to Rabbi Yochanan, there is chinuch. He holds that a mother is also obligated in chinuch. And therefore, if that's the only reason, a mother, in fact, should be able to effect this change. So why talk and not? If the mother and the father are equal when it comes to chinuch, answer is, because that's just the way it is. doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. There is no rationale. It's halacha l'moshem Sinai. Because short of the halacha l'moshem Sinai, Rabbi Yochanan fundamentally disagrees with the position of Reish Lakish, and he holds that an Isha is Chayavas Bechim. So according to this uh, discussion, and we're going to see why uh, Rishonim are motivated to learn this way in Rabbi Yochanan, because of this, the question that I'm asking, are women obligated, the role of women in the education of children, Zemachlokes Amoraim, according to Reish Lakish, women are not, Eino Isha Chayavas Bechinuch, According to Rabbi Yochanan, women are, but the reason why when it comes to Nazir, they do not play this kind of a role is because there's a separate halacha, a separate parsha when it comes to Nazir. Now I want to turn to page three. <clears throat> and I want to understand 
what is the issue of Chinuch when it comes to Nazir? And what is the issue of Chinuch in general? So two weeks ago, when I prepared these sheets for the first time, I figured to page two, right, logically, would come before page three. But Baruch Hashem, I got a little smarter over the last two weeks. And I was thinking through this year, and I said, no, really, we should do page three before page two, because it dawned on me that that's more logical. So let's turn to page three. The question is, what is chinuch? And what is chinuch in the context of Nazir? What is chinuch in the context of Nazir? That's the locus classicus here. That's the point of departure for this uh, discussion. And this brings us to Amaretz Chayes on this sugya Masachas Nazir. The Amaretz Chayes from Tzvi Hirsch Chayes was a great rabbi, lived in the 19th century. The very interesting figures already now beginning to move from the traditional world to the more modern world. The Amaretz Chayes is obviously a tremendous Talmud Chacham, proof being that he made it into the back of the the, the Rum Vilna Shas Gemara, so he's up there, he's in the canon. He also had a secular education. His father was a businessman, he taught him all kinds of languages. So he's already now moving out of the, the, the full circle of traditional Jewish life as a rabbi. And he's a shtikala ufka clare, he's a little bit more worldly and uh, straddling between two worlds. So Rav Tzvi Hirschayis was the subject, until today, the best uh, work on Rav Tzvi Hirschayis was a doctoral dissertation uh, written for Columbia University maybe 50 years ago by a woman by the name of Bruria David, known as Rebitz and David, known as the daughter of Rav Yitzchak Hutner. I don't know how many of you know that Rav Hutner's daughter, he had one child, one daughter, went to college, didn't only go to college, went to graduate school, went to Columbia University graduate school, got a PhD in Jewish history from Columbia and wrote her doctoral dissertation on the Maharats Chayos. And 50 years later, it remains the best, so far the best work on this figure. Frecht the Heilige Maharats Chayos, in the middle now of page three. Underlined, Kashali Kushya Hamura Ma'od. Let's review what does the Gemara say when it comes to Nazir? A father has a right, has the capacity, has the option to say, My son who's a Katan is a Nazir, or you say you are a Nazir, has a right to do that because he wants to be Machanech, he wants to educate his son. The Maritzchai says, I have a bomb question. Koshali kusha chamura ma'od. I want to read it and I want to translate. Hine yodanu, koach inyon hachinoch. Why is there such a thing as chinoch? Why is it that parents have a responsibility to educate children? Why? What's the rationale? What's the reason? Hainu, Till now, till I'm 13 in a day, garnished, I don't have to do anything. I never went to shul, I never saw anything, I never davened, I never benched, nothing. And now all of a sudden parachute in, 
you're 13 in a day, and now all of a sudden you have to do all the mitzvahs. So the kid is going to choke. The kid is going to say, this is insanity. What's going on here? All of a sudden, I have to do this and this and this, and I can't do this, and I have to watch out for that. It will become, he calls it a muscle, it'll become a terrible burden. The, the culture shock, the behavioral shock will be enormous. All of a sudden, he's mechaev to do all of these things. If all of a sudden, now, I never saw it before. I never did it before. I was never exposed to it before. And now this is what I'm doing for the first time. It's going to be much too difficult. Lawrence, come here. Take a sheet. Take a, You have a sheet. Okay. So if the chiyov is yaschil bepesah piso, the kodem azman yiyachofshi mikola mitzvos. So then the question is, I, I don't want to do this. I, I, this is this is nuts. This is crazy. Lachain hiskilu chachamenu zechronom lebracha. Therefore, our rabbis, in their great wisdom, decided lachaneches haktanah bemitzvos terem shehigil lachalchiu that they would sort of socialize them. They would introduce them little by little into what mitzvos look like. So here's what a sitter is, and here's what a shul is, and this is what Shabbos is, and this is what Yom Kippur is, and this is what Tefillin is, and this is what Kibbutz is. You name it, the whole range of Jewish law. The parents socialize the child into it sooner. So it'll be easier. It's not going to be such a shock. It'll be a slow transition, and they'll be accustomed to all the range of Jewish ritual behavior. And when they become obligated, so they slide right in and it'll be very comfortable for them. Because till now they also were used to it. So it's nothing, nothing uh, shocking. Frankly, I'm not so happy with this rationale of Chinuch. Why should I be Machanech, my child? So my child shouldn't rebel when all of a sudden I'm piling on mitzvahs and assays and losasses. I don't know. I would have said that the reason why I should be mechadech my children is not that they shouldn't rebel, but they should feel that it's, it's beautiful. It's meaningful. They should see the specialness of it. They should identify with it. They should feel the warmth. It's not to avoid rebellion, but it's something more positive, it would seem to me. I think the Maritz Chayas could have made a stronger case for Chinuch. At least for me, and thinking about my mother and my father, and I think our parents, all your parents, and what you want to do to your kids, and those of us who are grandparents want to have an impact on grandchildren, is, you know, show them the beauty, show them the warmth, show them the meaning. It's not just oh my God, I'm afraid they're going to kick the whole thing over because it's going to be something so shocking. Seems to be more of a positive association. Be that as it may, Chinuch, he explains, is a preparation for the mitzvot that the child will have to perform when the child becomes an adult. If that's the case, he says, skip a line, Ad kan shaya Chinuch, so you should only educate your children for those mitzvos that they are going to be obligated to perform when they become adults. 
So they shouldn't turn it away and reject it. If they get, it's going to fall on them. So they should know about it in advance. So the Maritzchaya says they should get used to it. It shouldn't be a burden. I'm saying that they should love it and embrace it and feel the warmth of it. But it's only to prepare them, to socialize them into behavior for which they will be obligated. Nobody's obligated to become a, a, a Nazir. In fact, he brings a Gemara that says that maybe it's not such a good idea to be a Nazir. So why am I wasting my time? Where's their chinuch for something that my kid can go through, he says in the three lines later, a whole life and never encounter? I understand Shabbos, I understand Kashrus, I understand all of it. But Dafka Nazir, you are calling an opportunity for chinuch? I'm never going to be a Nazir. I don't know how to spell Nazir. I'm not interested in being of us. The father has a right to make a son a Nazir to be Machanech, the son. For what? Maybe he'll never be a Nazir. A Zoyfrek, the Heil Gemaratzchais. It's a Eisenakash. Chinuch is to prepare the kid for what the kid will inevitably have to do. Kid doesn't have to do this. So I don't have to prepare the kid. Maybe the kid will never do. So he continues a little further on. The Kivin, six lines from the bottom, since this is not something that will be obligated for them, why is this chinuch? Why am I training this child for something that maybe the child will never encounter? Bomb question. Bomb question. I actually think it's a very powerful question. What is Chinuk doing when it comes to us? And I gave you the Shita Mukubetsis on the bottom right, right below. Shehevi b'shem ha-rabar b'zriel, we have it here in the name of the Rosh, I'll say. K'day l'chancham mishum d'nedarim siyog l'prishas. What is the chinuch when it comes to nedarim or nazir? Let's talk about nazir. It means I want to teach my child that physical pleasure is not the be-all and end-all of human existence. I want to teach my child precious. Precious means abstinence. You know what? You don't have to have everything. You don't have to eat everything. You don't have to enjoy everything. Even if it's mutter. You know what? Live a holier life. Live a life that focuses not on the physicality of the human condition, but maybe on the spiritual life. So I'm teaching my child about Nazir, even though the child may never decide to become a Nazir, but by now inculcating the laws of Nazirus into my nine-year-old or my 10-year-old or 11-year-old, I want that child to learn that there are other things in life than drinking wine or getting fancy hairdos or uh, going wherever they want to go. They have to learn to be mitzamtzim themselves. They have to learn histapkus, 
continue reading. The Tiratsti, the Mitzvah's Chinuch Nofel Khan, Sheyargil Atzmo Bemidus Hahistafkus. You should be content. You should be content. It's not all about how much you make. It's not all about how much you eat. It's not all about how much you enjoy. There are other things that are more important, that are more valuable. And so therefore, look at the bottom in the Shita Mukubetsas, the last line. Afilu nedarim nami, the nedarim nami, in our case, in the zeros, is syog leprecious harosh zal beferusha. And we know the famous uh, Mishnah in Masaches Avos, you all know it by heart, Ezehu Ashir, Ezehu Ashir, Asameach Bechelko. You can even be an Ashir, but what is an Ashir? It doesn't mean the more you have, you're a bigger Ashir. Appreciate what you have. You don't have to amass stuff. You don't have to amass physical enjoyment. That's not really the core of life. And I'm going to teach you when you're nine and 10, that there's such a thing called Nazir that says, no, you can't have that. And you shouldn't have that. And you know what? You can live without that. You can live against time without that. And that's where Chinuch applies in this particular case. Now, what's the role of the mother? So according to Rish Lakish, the mother is not nechleles, is not included in the mitzvah of Chinuch. Therefore, Rish Lakish says, that's Pshat in the Mishnah, Nazir that a father can make a child a Nazir, but not, a, but not the mother. I told you that there are uh, medieval authorities, many rabbinic authorities, who learn Pshad, who interpret the first answer in the Gemara, Rabbi Yochanan, as disagreeing with this basic fundamental premise. What was Rabbi Yochanan's answer? Why the father and not the mother? Because that's the way it is. That's just the way it is. Why does he have to say that's just the way it is? Because without the that's just the way it is, the mother, in fact, should be part of this whole equation, because the mother, in fact, is involved. There is a mitzvah of chinuch for the mother. But there's a special limud, there's a special uh, statement that's made, a special uh, requirement that uh, removes mothers from this um, option of making a son a nazir, because it's a halacha l'mosha what drives this uh, discussion is on page two. There's a Gemara Masechah Sukkah on page two, top of page two, that Beza Medez, from which the uh, medieval authorities who were shown him deduced that in fact women, mothers are in the Parsha of Chinuch. And it's a famous Gemara about Hilni Hamalka, the Beza Medez, Hilni Hamalka, uh, Professor Ari Mermelstein is here who knows a great deal about uh, ancient Jewish history. So I don't know really anything about ancient Jewish history. She was some Malka, allegedly in the first century, cited, I know, by Josephus, but that's all I know. Adiabini, I, she's a, a known entity, Hilni Hamalka. And the Gemara quotes a story about Hilni Hamalka. Meisveh, the Gemara wants to know how high does the sukkah have to be? How high does a sukkah have to be, or beyond which height, beyond which height is a sukkah no longer uh, legitimate? Mesve. 
Second line, top of page two. I'm going to read and translate. If a sukkah is higher than 20 amos, I don't know what ama is. It's a foot and a half. It's two feet, whatever it is. It's pretty high. So 20 amos is 30 feet. It's 35 feet. It's 40 feet. If it's higher than that, it's gavoa. Then it's already too high and it doesn't count. You can't use it for a sukkah. Even 40 or 50 amos. I'm not sure why the Gemara has to say 40 or 50. If the Gemara said 50, so I would know 40. Okay, even if it's 40 or 50 amos, it's ginormous. It's still okay, it's fine. And Rabbi Yehuda brings a raya from the story of Hilni Hamalk. I'm Rabbi Yehuda, my Hilni Hamalk of the Lord. Shehoisa sukasa gavoa meyesrim amo. She had a sukkah. It was higher than 20 amos. And came in and they visited and they left. They would come to her in her sukkah. Nobody said, Tyre Hilni, Tyre. I mean, what are you doing? I mean, it's too big. What do you, nobody said a word. So we see from here that uh, you could have a sukkah. That's more than 20 amos. You see, Rabbi Yehuda says, I'm right. I'm proving to you that a sukkah could be more than 20 amos because Hilni's sukkah was more than 20 amos. This wonderful queen. And all the rabbis writing in Hilni's sukkah. And Mizagornish, nobody says anything and it's bigger than 20 amos. Says the Gemara, Amrullah, Misham Raya. A woman is not obligated. It's a mitzvah sasesha as man grama. The Baruch Hashem today, the Nashim Tzidkaniyos, all of our Nashim Tzidkaniyos make it their business to sit in the sukkah. It's a wonderful thing. You sit like a family. It's not like the men sit over here and the women sit in the house. We don't accept that. Everybody sits together in the sukkah. But it's not an obligation on the part of women. Women are not obligated in the mitzvah of sukkah. So she could have a sukkah 500 amos. I don't care. The sukkah doesn't have to be kosher because she's not obligated to sit in the sukkah, says the Gemara. Why are you bringing me a proof from the sukkah of this woman? So the Gemara answers, But she had seven sons. This Hilni Hamalka had. She did everything according to what the rabbis want. Now the Gemara parses this answer. There are two parts to this answer. Number one is, but she had seven sons. And number two, she followed the rabbis, everything that the rabbis want. So the Gemara wants to know, why do you need both? What's the significance of both? What's the significance of this retort? You're going to tell me that she had sons. But sons, Ketanim, are also part of Menasukha. So the fact that she had a five-year-old and a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old and an 11-year-old, and they sat in a sukkah more than 20 amos, still does not prove that a sukkah more than 20 amos is a legitimate sukkah, because just like she's not obligated to sit in the sukkah, they're not obligated to sit in the sukkah. Because the Gemara, that's why the Gemara says, even the Shiva Havu, she had seven sons. So I'm not assuming 
she had a one-year-old and a two-year-old and a three-year-old and a four-year-old and a five-year-old. You know, that would have been like a thing. That would have been hard. So it's not like Mamish every year she has another son. So if she has seven sons, the Gemara says that at which point, even if they're a kata, even if the seven range from four months to 12 and a half, and in that range, there's seven, and even the oldest is not mamish, a bar but a katan, shalom, tzricha, she'eno tzricha le'imo, means it's not, doesn't require the constant attention of his mother, the parents are obligated to be machanech, this child. So it's inevitable, the fact that she had seven sons, that the oldest one at least would be in that category, so that there would be an obligation for chinuch, and therefore we should be concerned about the height of the sukkah, and if the sukkah was more then 20 amos is a raya that a sukkah more than 20 amos is an acceptable sukkah. It's only a rabbinic obligation. Who said she cares about rabbinic obligations? Rabbinically, the parents are obligated to be machanech, a cotton she'enot tzarech li'imo, that's reached that stage where it doesn't require the constant attention of a mother. But maybe she doesn't care about a rabbinic obligation. Therefore, the Gemara says, Toshma, the old, she does care about what the rabbis say. And the rabbis say that a cotton if they're a certain age, they no longer need the constant attention of their mother. The parents are obligated to be machana. Well, we don't hear anything about a father here. We hear about a mother, a vila mother, happened to be a queen by the name of Hilni. And she has an obligation to be machanech her children. She has an obligation to be machanech her children, and she's sitting in a sukkah that's more than 20 amos, is a raya, that's such a sukkah, says Rabbi Huda, you see, I'm right, you can have a sukkah more than 20 amos. My interest is not how high a sukkah has to be. My interest is to extract from here, say the Rishonim, see from here, that Hilmi was involved in the chinuch of her child. That's what the Gemara says that it's a stage of a kata, even if it's a kata. The parents are obligated to be mechanech, the child. And therefore, that means that it should be a kashura sukkah. And therefore, we see that a sukkah can be even more than 20 amos. But the mother is obligated or is in the parsha of chinuch for her child. And therefore, the Rishonim say, to steer it to the Gemara and Nazir. The Gemara and Nazir says in the name of Reish Lakish that women are not. That's why a woman can't make her son a Nazir because she's not in the Parsha of Chinuch. Answer is no. This Gemara in Sukkah holds like Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan, the first answer in the Gemara in Nazir says the reason why a mother cannot do it is because that's the way it is. But otherwise, short of that, the mother should be able to make her son a Nazi because the mother is in the parsha of Chinuch. And now we know what Chinuch means, not just not just to uh, make sure the kid doesn't have a cultural heart attack when the kid turns 13 in a day, not even just my shot to have the kid love, grow up loving singing Zmiris and going to shul and being in a youth group and learning Torah, everything that we teach our kids, not just that, but the issue, the message about 
abstinence, the message about histakus, the message about trying to appreciate what the real values of life are. And so it would appear that women are very much, mothers are very much, God bless you, mothers are very much in the Parsha of Chinuch. The Yachronim bring a raya from the bottom of page two, the Ferusha Rashi Masachas Chagiga. The context here is too far afield for me right now. Itilu chachamim al oviv ve'al imo l'chancho b'mitzvos. The Ferusha Rashi, itilu chachamim al oviv ve'al imo, that the rabbis uh, placed the obligation on the father and on the mother, the chancho, to educate the child in mitzvahs. So we have the ben sorer umora, and then the shomea b'kol aviv u'b'kol imo. There's no distinction between the two of them. Shema b'ni musar avicha v'al titosh Torah simecha at psachlo hilni hamalka and the Rashi and Masachas Chagigo that women have an obligation to do this uh, notion is uh, found in a very famous passage in the writings of Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitch. In our family, and my kids are here, in our family, uh, I quote this all the time. So there was, there's a pool going on with my children and my grandchildren. How long into the year is Abba going to take before he quotes this passage? That he's going to quote this passage, Zichr is going to quote this passage, for sure. But so there's a, there's a bet. How many minutes in is it going to take him until he, I don't know who, who, who's winning the pool, but even tonight we had dinner together before the, before this uh, presentation and, uh, one after another, this, uh, quote, uh, came up. So in our family, this has been worn thin by repeated uh, repetition. But what can I do? They knew I was going to quote it because it's a layup. I mean, how can you talk about a mother's role in Chinuch and not quote this passage? From Rabbi Soloveitchik, he's giving a uh, hesped for his macha tenista. What's a macha tenista? Fascinating in English. There's no word for machatenista, right? You're with me? There's not, a, there's not a word that describes the mechutanim, not my in-laws. They're not my in-laws. My in-laws are my spouse's parents. This is like, these are like the, the people who I now have to live with because for some reason, their, their child fell in love with my child. So now we're thrown in for the rest of our lives. Baruch Hashem. What a bracha. I didn't choose them. They didn't choose me. Shalom Yisrael is great. No such relationship in English. Doesn't exist. Baruch Hashem in Yiddish. We have mechutanim and thank God we are blessed with wonderful, wonderful mechutanim. So he's giving a uh, Yorzai cheer for his machatenista. His daughter, Rabbi Soloveitchik's daughter, Atara, was married to my teacher. Uh, Professor uh, Yitzchak Isidore Tversky, which makes uh, her parents and his parents mechutanim. So the Tolna Rebetzin, uh, Professor Tversky's father was the Tolna Rebbe, lived in Brookline in Brighton. 
The mother was the Tolna Rebetzin. Uh, their son, uh, Isidore or Yitzchak, uh, married uh, the Soloveitchik daughter, um, Atara Soloveitchik, became Atara Tversky. So the parents are the Chutanim, and now she dies. And on her Shloshim, Rabbi Soloveitchik gives a Hespid, and it's printed up a year later. She died in 1977. And in 1978, the Hespid, the tribute to the of Tolna, is printed in the journal called Tradition. And he reflects on the mother's role in the life of the family. And he reflects on the mother's role by reflecting on his own mother. He extrapolates from what he saw with his own mother as now writ large, the role of mothers, capital M in Jewish families. I admit that I'm not able to define precisely the Masoretic role of the Jewish mother, Only by circumscription, I hope to be able to explain it, permit me to draw upon my own experiences. Used to have long conversations with my mother. I'm at the bottom left for page three. In fact, it was a monologue rather than a dialogue. She talked that I happened to overhear. What did she talk about? I must use a halachic term. She used to talk about things that are relevant to what's going on at the time. I used to watch her arranging the house in honor of the holidays. I used to see her recite the prayers. I used to recite watch her recite the Sedra Friday night. I still remember the nostalgic tune I learned from her very much. Most of all, I learned, what did I learn from my mother? That Judaism expresses itself not only in formal compliance with the law, but also in a living experience. In other words, it's not just the halacha, it's not just the do's and the don'ts, it's not just the behavior, it's not just the ritual, but it's the experience, it's the feeling that goes into, that underlies the specific acts that we uh, perform. She taught me that there's a flavor, a scent, a warmth to mitzvahs. I learned from her the most important thing in life, to feel the presence of the Almighty and the gentle pressure of his hand resting upon my frail shoulders. Without her teachings, which quite often were transmitted to me in silence, I would have grown up a soulless being dry and insensitive. It's actually extraordinarily jaw-dropping that he said this. Rabbi Salvation is the scion of the aristocracy of Lithuanian Torah scholarship in Eastern Europe. The absolute pinnacle. The Zeder of Chaim, his father of Moshe, his uncle, the Briskarov, Revelvel. And without his mother, he would have grown up dry and insensitive with all the brisk alumnus and all the tzvedinim and everything he learned from his father. He would have grown up a soulless being, dry and insensitive. I remember one year he used to give, for a number of years, he gave a yardside share, a memory of his father on Gimel Shvat. His father died in January, 1941. Every Gimel Shvat, he gave a yardside share. And one year he rattled off 23 mesechtas that he learned with his father. He learned with his father, I once heard him say, 10 hours a day for 10 years. So I'm going to say that again because that's that absolute insanity. 10 hours a day. So stop right there. 10 hours a day for 10 years. So it was five hours a day for five years. I don't know what it was. It was a lot. 23 mesechtas. And then he said, it was really a 24th because after we finished the Durham, with the Ran, we decided we're going to learn the Durham with Rashi. So some of you may know that we don't learn the Durham with Rashi because Rashi and the Durham is probably not Rashi anyway. So we learn the Durham with the Ran. 
But as an exercise, we figured we're going to learn the Dharam with Rashi. So it's 23 plus. All of that, 23 Mesechas, soulless being without my mother, the power of his mother, because his mother taught him that there's a varm kind. There's a scent and a warmth and a flavor to Mrs. The laws of Shabbos, I want to continue, for instance, were passed on to me by my father. They are part of Musar Avicha. Hilcha Shabbos, I learned with my father, Masach Shabbos, was one of those uh, Masachtas that he learned with his father, 170-something flat, Avos and Toldos, oh, yeah, I mean, cold. Hilcha Shabbos, cold, he learned it with his father. But the Shabbos is a living entity, as a queen was revealed to me by my mother. That's Torah. The fathers knew much about the Shabbos. The mothers lived the Shabbos, experienced her presence and perceived her beauty and splendor. It's really remarkable, the role of the mother in the family. The father is the intellect. The mother is the emotion. The fathers taught generations how to observe the Shabbos. Mothers taught generations how to greet the Shabbos, how to enjoy her 24-hour presence. Now, a couple of years, many years after I read this, I came across, we're now on page four, uh, another essay that was was written by Rabbi Soloveitchik. It wasn't published until posthumously, where Rabbi Soloveitchik returns to this in a way that I found and continue to find actually somewhat troubling. Top left, page four, there is a distinction between mother's and father's mission within the covenantal community since they represent two different personalistic approaches. Father's teaching is basically of an intellectual nature. This will sound familiar to us based on the passage that we just saw. The father's role is intellectual. Judaism is to a great extent an intellectual discipline, a method, a system of thought, a hierarchy of values. In order to be acquainted with all of this, You have to study, you have to comprehend, you have to have knowledge, you have to know the principles. It's not easy, it's very hard, but that is the role of the father. Next paragraph, however, Judaism is not only an intellectual tradition, but also an experiential one. The Jew not only observed, but experienced the Shabbos, experienced Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. You don't just recite the prayers, you don't just say something. You experience something. The Seder is not just ceremonial. You drink and you eat. You have to eat a certain amount and drink a certain amount. It's not just that, but it's a great experiential event. There's a beauty and a grandeur and a warmth and a tenderness to Judaism. It's not to be described in cognitive terms. You behold them, you feel them, you sense them. All this, skip a few lines, the dreamy eyes, the soft melody, the tear, the smile is found in the maternal domain. The mother creates the mood. She's the artist who is responsible for the magnificence, the solemnity, the beauty. She's the one who tells the child of the great romance, the tremor, the heartbeat, the playing, the singing, the laughing and the crying. What Rabbi Salvechik does here is he actually uh, seems to me ossifies these two roles by saying, this is the father's role, this is the mother's role. I have a problem with that. 
because I, you don't feel comfortable that the mother is the emotional one and the father is the intellectual one. So if you took a poll in this room, mothers, Baruch Hashem, mothers know a great deal, can convey a lot of intellectual halachos to children. And I would say fathers can convey a shtick of also. It's not just all in the brain. Father can convey to the child the varmkat and the warmth and the beauty and the meaning and the romance. And the mother can convey the substance and the clarity and the depth. So I'm not sure Rabbi Soloveitchik meant this to be ironclad. Uh, Rabbi Soloveitchik wrote in typologies afterwards. Rabbi Soloveitchik wrote in typologies. So much is ish hadis and ish hadad and ish hadad. So it could be he's writing typologically, but at least for me, I don't see this kind of a rigid distinction. But what we do walk away from is that the mother has a very significant role in raising the child. And Rabbi Soloveitchik is exhibit A. Without his mother being involved in his, let's call it, chinuch, then he would have grown up, as he himself says, a soulless being, dry and insensitive. I want to conclude with a very personal um, uh, reflection. Uh, my mother, Zechrona Levracha, Penina Paraletal, Baslea Peshel, had a tremendous influence on all the members of our family and continues to have a tremendous influence on, on Baruch Hashem, uh, four generations, uh, three generations uh, after her. And she had a very powerful influence on me. And I want to reflect for a moment on my debt to her, my own personal debt to her. When I was uh, growing up as a little boy, I had a very hard time. I had a very hard time intellectually. I was in the stupid class when I was in elementary school. I wasn't doing well. I, was really struggling and I was struggling emotionally and I was struggling intellectually. And uh, I started first grade when I was four, I skipped second grade, I was five years old in third grade. And later when I realized how crazy that was, I said, mommy, mommy, how, how could you have done this to me? She said to me, Yaakov Yosef, my name is Yaakov Yosef, Jacob Joseph. Now, I promise you, I'll never do it again. <laughs> That's what she said. I promise you, I'll never do it again. So she realized she had charata that she somehow miscalculated, and it was very hard. And before I went to Israel, when I came home from Israel, I was having a very hard time. But my mother had faith in me. And my mother said to me in the deep, dark days, Yakafiosafal, you could be whatever you want to do. That's what she said to me. And I was heartened by that because I had a lot of respect for my mother. And my mother believed in me that I actually maybe can do something meaningful, that I, I can actually do something. And I took that to heart and I internalized it. And I owe her, I owe her so much. And I want to encapsulate that or represent that in a word that I heard this past Yom Kippur. So I dive in, in the tent uh, on Yom Kippur and uh, on uh, Yom Kippur Day, Rabbi Jeremy Weeder came to deliver the sermon in the tent. In the course of his sermon, he quoted 25 seconds of Dvar Torah that has stayed with me ever since. And I want to share it with you. I want to break it down. We're now on page four. Torah tells us in Vayetze, Vayetze Yaakov me Be'er Sheva, Choran. Tap right, page four. Yaakov goes out of Be'er Sheva and uh, he goes to Choran and he comes to a place and he takes a rock 
collection of rocks. He lies down and he has a dream. We all know the dream. There's a ladder going up. The bottom is on earth. And the top reaches the heavens. And the angels go up and down. And God gives him a message. And then he wakes up and Pasuk Tesayin. And here I want to read it carefully and draw your attention to two words. So he wakes up after the message. There are angels going up and down. He gets a message from God. He wakes up and he says, Verily, or behold, Yesh, Hashem, Bamakom Here I am, I'm sleeping. The angels are going up and down. And I'm oblivious to the angels going up and down. I'm sleeping. Wow, now I need, now I know, now I realize God came and gave me a message. What are the words? Ochein, Ochein, remember that? Yesh Elokim, Bamakom But Va'anochi, remember that? Lo, Yodati, I didn't know. The Medrash tells us right below. What is Malachi Elokim Olim Dim? So the Medrash presents something really interesting. The Medrash tells us, Atu, a little bit more than halfway down, beginning of the line, She'ukinon shalcha chakuka lamayla. Chazal tell us, and this is not the only source, that the icon of the form of Yaakov is inscribed on the celestial throne. So I don't know what that means. I don't know what celestial throne means. But on the celestial throne, on the Kisei HaKavo in, in Shamayim, the icon, the word, ikunin, icon, the visual image, of Yaakov is on that is on that throne. Olim Lamaila. And what is the, the angels going up and down? Olim Lamaila, they go up. Feroim Ukinun Shalom. They go up. Ah, Shalom Aleichem, God, so nice to see you. They get that kick on the on the throne. And what to do is Yaakov Avinu, right up there, right next to right on God's chair. And then Vyardin Lamata, Lamotsumoso Yashain. He's sleeping, he's snoring, and they can't figure it out. Like, what's going on? And it's a disconnect. Up there, he's mamish at the duo next to God. And down here, he's sleeping, he's wasting his time. Malachi Elohim Olim Vyorth. Who else or what else was on God's throne? What else is known to have been on God's throne? Ezekiel, Perek Yud, Yechezkel, Perek Yud on the left side. Now, for sure, I don't know what I'm talking about. The famous uh, vision at the first chapter in Ezekiel, and then it's a little bit changed in the 10th chapter in Ezekiel, in Pasik Yud Dalit Perak Yud, Peneha Echod, Peneha Kruv, on the throne. One image is the image of a Kruv, of some kind of a heavenly being, like the Kruvim. We're familiar with the Kruvim from the Mishkan. Something is up there on some kind of a something. And the second image is the image of an Adam. We know who that Adam was, right? The Medras just told us that. That's who? Who is that Adam? Yaakov. And there's an Aryeh. There's a lion up there, a vision of an, a lion. And there's an eagle. So there are four images on the celestial throne. There is a Kruv, Kruvin, whatever that means. There's a Yaakov. There's an Aryeh, there's a lion, and there is a Nesh. Rabbi Weider quoted from Rabbi Chaim Sabato's commentary on the Torah called Ahavas HaTorah, 
where he quotes from his grandfather, Rav Sabato, who's in uh, Male Adumim, a very famous, not only rabbi, but an incredible novelist, who's a literary genius, besides being a massive Talmud Chacham. Rav Chaim Sabato had a Zayda by the name of Aaron Shweka, who says the following. Yaakov wakes up from his dream, and Yaakov says the following. I know there's an Aryeh, an Aleph, there's a Chaf, there's a Krug, there's a Nun, there's a Nesher. But I knew about the O and the Cha and the No. I knew about the Aryeh and the uh, and the uh, Krug. And the Nesha, but the Yi, I didn't know that Yaakov was also Oh my God, I'm up there too. Why am I sleeping? It's Mamish Gaimit. No, don't you think of it? It's unbelievable. That I always knew. But the Anochi, the Yud, I didn't know. I didn't know that I was also there. And now I realize that I'm also up. Wow, wakes up. The Anochi. Lo, Yodati. My name is Yaakov. And uh, for a long time when I was younger, I knew about the Ochein, but I didn't know about the Onuch. I didn't know about the Yud. And it's because of my mother, Mamish, because of my mother when I was younger, and uh, Yocheved when I got older, who, uh, who gave me Koach, and who said, you know, give it a shot. Give it a shot. Maybe you can make a difference. I want to conclude with a word from my father. Four more minutes. We say every morning, I'm talking about my mother, I want to mention my father. We say it every morning. What's the rest? Thank you, God. I express my gratitude to you, God. Everlasting God. You were so sweet and so kind and so nice. You returned my soul to me. Because till now I was sleeping. I don't know where I was. Now I'm up and I'm awake and I'm conscious. Rabah, great is. Your faith. What? Did you ever wonder? It's a little bit strange. God, you have faith. God, you're so great. You have faith. But I give God a kitchen pistol. Because God has faith. But God has faith. God needs faith. God, listen to me. Mafter Yaina this year, you have faith, you're worthy of having a big cup. What do you mean, God? I give God a yeshikar that he has faith. What should it have said? Thank you, God. You woke me up. You gave me my soul back. Rabah emu na. See, my faith in you is great. Wow, thank you. Do you ever wonder? I said it 12,768 times before my father said to me, what are you talking about? Doesn't make any sense. So my father said, you know what the pshat is? And I invite you to think about this. And I think about it in the context of my mother. Thank you, God, for giving me back my soul. In me. You, thank you. You have faith in me. Why did you wake me up this morning? There are people who don't get up in the morning. Why did I wake up this morning? Because you had faith. 
that I'm going to do something meaningful today. You are tracing me that, 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 that a schmendrick, somebody, a guy, can actually do something meaningful. Each one of us. Why are we blessed with life? Why does God wake us up in the Because God has faith in us. And God says, you know what? You're going to do something. Today, you're going to help an old lady cross the street. And today, you're going to uh, set up a, a minyan for a base avel. And today, you're going to be menachem avel somebody. Or you're going to go to be mevaker chol in the hospital. Or you're going to drive somebody to do a maizachesed. Or you're going to study a little piece of Torah. You're going to make today meaningful. And that's why, God, thank you. Because you believe. And you believe in me that I could actually do something. My mother believed in me. And for that, I have undying gratitude. She had a tremendous influence on all the members of our family. But uh, I'm already been trained on Alta Yid. And uh, my mother, my mother meant the world to me. My mother meant the world to me. And I express my gratitude to her and try to extrapolate from her message, not only to me, but to all the members of our family, uh, ongoing teachings that are consistently resonating within us. Aisha, Penina, Peril, Etel, Bas, Leah, Peshavach, and Ochenach. Tehenish, Masa, Tzruah, Betzruah, Hachayim. Her soul should be bound up in the bound of eternal life. Thank you all for coming. I really appreciate it. If anybody has any questions, please come forward. So, I'm going to read this up.